Michael, how are you doing today? I'm really well. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, we're I'm I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, you, you're one of my favorite designers. That's why I uh, reached out. You're listening to Board Again Games Season Four, Episode Four, as we talk with designer Phil Walker Harding of Emotep, Baron Park, Sushi Go, and a bunch of other titles about designing games and his new publishing company, Joy Games. Thanks for listening as we continue to explore the world of tabletop gaming. Ryan, I did not realize, hadn't played uh, much of anything besides Sushi Go. Um, So we were just playing uh, Llama Land tonight when he showed up uh, because I I think it's a fantastic design. I like a lot of your designs. Uh, So... You have designed a ton of games, uh, over 60. I think there's like 70-some on Board Game Geek, right? And you're getting ready to uh, have your own uh, publishing company, Joey Games. And you've been doing this for a while. Anything else you want to say about yourself? Uh, No. I mean, yeah. I I will say that out of those 60 or 70 on Board Game Geek, a huge amount of them are like tiny promo items and stuff. So so it's probably like... You know, actual titles is close to 25, I believe. Like, not that it really matters, but I'm not that prolific. So, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, you have Baron Park and Sushi Go and uh, Gingerbread House, Llama Land, like we're playing. Um, did you do Emotep Duel or did somebody else do that? At, no, adaptation? that was me. Yeah. Yeah. Cosmos oh. asked for a two player version. So that was me. Yep. Uh, I liked Emotep, uh, but but I really like the dual version. The, the dual version just plays so clean and quick, and that's one of the things I, I really appreciate about your designs in general. Is like, I, I think what did it take five six minutes to teach this? Yeah, this was very accessible. Uh, so that, that's one of the things that I really really appreciate about your designs is that they they are easy to learn, but a lot of fun, easy to uh, to dig into, and then. Uh, kind of find that second layer of what's going on in there uh, in, in your games. So, um, you previously self-published and have now gone on to work with several of the best-known game companies. So, how? Tell us about that process, and then tell us maybe about how you're now getting to the fact that you want to publish under your own uh, imprint now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> when I started designing, it was really just a hobby. Uh, this was back like 2006, seven, so way before Kickstarter and everything. So um, when it came time to think about actually, oh, I'd like my designs to be out in the world, the only really thing that I could think of uh, was to self-publish and kind of hand-make my own like little short print run. So my first few games were like pretty much hand-assembled, 100 copies, 50 copies at a time, just sold online and at small conventions here. And um, that's just how I started. That was just what seemed the the only real way for someone totally starting out to um, to get going. So self-publishing was sort of a means to an end for me at the start. It was like um, just the only real option. Um, but then as sort of I got a little bit more well-known, some of my games got picked up by other publishers and I started developing a little bit of a name. Um, and so at a certain point, in around 2013, 14, 15, I was like transitioning into like just being a designer. Um, Cause I loved some elements of self-publishing. I love the creative control. I love being able to kind of take a game from the very beginning all the way to final product. That was really fun. 
but it is a lot of work. It's a lot of business stuff. It's a lot of admin. Yeah. And at that point I was just like, Ugh, I just want to design, you know? So, yeah, I respect that. So <laughs> what, 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 what made you then say, you know, I, I, I need to bring this back to doing my own thing then. Yeah. So it wasn't like I got sick of designing or I was, um, had bad experience with publishers or anything like that. It was much more that I kind of got a little bit of a vision for something I'd really like to do with games that sort of had to be done, had to be a whole new thing. So um, my wife Meredith and I have been chatting for a while about something we could do together uh, in sort of the game business world. And yeah, during lockdown here in Australia, uh, you know, lots of introspection going on and you're thinking about, okay, you know, what are we doing with our lives and all those big questions you ask when you're stuck at home. And, yeah, it just sort of occurred to me uh, that something I would love to do is, like, try and do something with my games that was a little bit more, like, trying to have a positive impact on communities around me and even like maybe culture on some level, you know, that's obviously a big lofty goal. Um, but when it kind of dawned on me that like um, I've sort of uncomfortable with, in some ways, a bit uncomfortable with my Australianness. like I don't put out games that kind of really celebrate my own culture. Like I've made a game about ancient Egypt, but I haven't made one about ancient indigenous Australia. Why is that? Just kind of thinking oh. through that, that whole thing. And um, yeah, I just sort of realized with Meredith that something I'd love to do is put out some games that are like really celebrating Australia, uh, its people, its plants and animals, all that kind of stuff. And just to do it in a kind of a healthy, non-tacky, you know, non-throw shrimp on the barbie kind of way, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was kind of the genesis of the idea. And then that was like, well, that has to be, that's a publishing house, you know, that's like something we could start and that would be its vision. Um, and yeah, that's sort of where it, sort of where it started. And I think I was committed enough to that vision that I thought, you know what, this is such a good idea. I want, I'd be happy to go back to all the admin and all the, the boring stuff to get it off the ground because I, I think it'd be a great thing to do with my time um, rather than just pump out, you know, games, which is great, but just something a bit more meaningful. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, to, are, are you going to be uh, producing the games in Australia or, or is that going to be in China or, or where, where are you going to be making the, the physical games? Yeah, well, we originally hoped we could produce them here because um, that just makes a lot of sense. But yeah. um, it's just almost impossible. <laughs> so, like, um, they're just, I mean, you would be aware of this too, I guess, in America. There are just certain things that are just no longer really made in your home country and you have to get them made in other places. And it's kind of sad, but it's just sort of how industries happened. Um, so we researched a whole lot of factories around the world um, and we did our best to kind of see if we could make it work here, but we just it's just not really doable. Um, so, yeah, and as we were kind of searching for factories, we sort of really decided we wanted... Another part of Joey Games was we wanted it to be very much sustainability minded and caring about our environmental impact. So that was very much part of the decision making around what factory to choose. 
So in the end, we decided to go with uh, a factory in Germany that we felt most like met all our kind of ideals about how games could be produced. That's cool. Um, are you are your boxes going to be like uh, fully recyclable and, and that sort of thing? Um, like like how far down that rabbit hole have you gone? Okay. Yeah, so we we decided to employ a, like a sustainability consultant, who's okay. someone who kind of talks you through the development of your brand and your packaging and helps you make sustainable choices at each step of the way. And so that was a huge, a huge kind of learning process and wow. this huge world to step into, you know. And um, she had never worked on a board game before either. So it was, you know, this big learning process of let's, you know, think about every single step of making a board game. What are the impacts at each of those points? And, you know, where are we going to kind of put our priorities? Because um, when you start down that path, you realise pretty quickly making anything has a cost. You know what I mean? You can't make anything and not have some impact on the world around you like you just do. So you ha- the, the whole thing with sustainability, I think, for us is picking the, the kind of areas you truly believe you can make a big impact and just committing to that and everyone needs to make their own choices because you can't be completely like non-impactful you're making some impact so yeah so things we kind of decided to be you know quite firm on was like app like no plastic in our games that was one obvious one that we decided to stick to um and that has you know that has surprising like surprisingly lots of little things go into well You'd be surprised how much plastic is in things you don't think has plastic in them. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. Yeah, like recyclable material, FSC certified wood. Um, we decided to go with a factory that uses renewable energy. Um, so, yeah, we came up with kind of a list of our impact pillars that we wanted to stick to. Um, and it was, it's really hard because a lot of it's judgment calls, but I think you've got to... Um, each company sort of has to figure out for them where they want to go. And we, we took a pretty hard stand, I think, um, uh, I hope. Uh, but, yeah, it, you can't be, as I said, you can't be perfect. It's impossible. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's some of the things. The microplastics are enclosed anyway, so we're fine. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it sort of feels a bit that way with plastic, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's kind of, it's out there. <laughs> like, it's out there. But, like, I guess the biggest thing for us was, like, shrink wrap on the boxes, shrink wrap on cards. You just don't, it's just not necessary. Like, there are alternatives that work. Um, So why why put more plastic into the world? Um, Another one, which is a real shame, is, like, you know that really cool shiny ink on a lot of games, the UV ink? Yeah. That's pretty much plastic. (laughs) But it looks so cool. But, you know, things like that, we just went, well, you know, why put even more plastic into the world when we don't need to um so yeah cool um i mean i I think that's part of the thing is for some people in the us uh depending on where you live um climate change hasn't felt as real as if you're, you're uh if you live in Australia or Germany uh, with the floods last year, and uh, we here we, we live in Ohio, I don't know if you've been to the U.S. and know where that's at, but like in Ohio, it's pretty easy in Ohio to ignore 
what, what's going on. But uh, you, okay. go ahead. Yeah, Mother's Day is the planting day, like oh, last right. frost for yeah. uh, for my planting zone. Um, you know, I got my seed starts. Uh, the last frost was like two weeks before Mother's Day. Pretty temperate. Next week, 90s. It's been in 85 to the 90s since May 8th. Yeah. yeah. But, but we didn't have to grow lettuce. I, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, but we didn't have a giant fire no, no, <laughs> covering yeah, yeah. a lot, followed by, uh, uh, I guess there was a, another uh, rodent plague in Australia after the fires, right? Too? Yeah, that was, exactly. a ma- that was a mouse plague in rural New South Wales. I think the flooding was the flooding we've had uh, the past few months oh. has been a big wake up call for people. Also, because it's like, so where my mother in law lives, a bit out of Sydney, um, she's had like, she's been flooded into her property the last three kind of Easters. Like, it's just become more, re- it's just becoming regular for her that, okay, well, flood time. And as opposed to it being once every 10 years. Um, so I think the floods was a wake-up call. The fires the fires we had the year before was a wake-up yeah. call to people here. Yeah, I think Australia, also we have like a ozone hole above us. So we're all like, we, we grow up being, having it drilled into us, you know, sun safety because, you know, skin cancer is such a big thing here. Um, it's so easy to get burnt without even knowing it. Um, yeah. So it's funny when Australians go on holiday somewhere else, they're always like covered in sun lotion and like wetsuit and like completely covered up and everyone else is on the beach, not even aware of it. Because yeah, Australia is a place where you do, some of the impacts are more obvious um, already. Um, There's much worse places around the world for that, but it is, yeah, compared to like where you guys live, maybe we get some more of those extreme weather events and um I think slowly public opinion is starting to catch up to the science a bit, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I won't, it's definitely a motivating factor for us that it feels more urgent to, much more urgent to start making urgent business decisions. Um, like yeah. we're not going to change the world by not using plastic on our games, but it's the least we can do, you know. Every business I think needs to start take, making serious decisions, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the plastics are recyclable anyway. I'm kidding. I'm not mad about. I'm not mad about plastics not being recyclable yet. Being told that they were my entire life. Um, yeah, I think sure. our plastic. Everyone puts plastic in our recycling bins here. Like we, it's supposed to be a lot of you know PET plastic anyway. Um, but yeah, it's recently come out that almost none of it is actually yeah. recycled yeah. at all. And you're like, huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I rinse stuff sometimes, and I think like, well, how much do I want to rinse this? Because it's like, oh, now I'm wasting water, and then and then I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just going to get thrown away anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, oh, go go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, um, yeah, you can paralyze yourself with all those little decisions each day about, am I? Is this a? Is this an impact that I can avoid? Is this an impact I can avoid? But I think, you know, one thing I think I become aware of as we've gone, like looking at all this stuff is, you know, every individual needs to make wise decisions. Every business needs to make wise decisions. But at the end of the day, the biggest impact that we've come across is like in Germany, um, for example, the government 
has decided to actually get on board with the use of renewable energy and other things in manufacturing. And so it's a bit much better there, you know. And in China, even though a lot of factories in China are really getting quite good, there's no government regulation. There's no, you know, impetus yeah. from, from the government to, to make factories greener. So it doesn't happen. So I think you realize that we can all make wise decisions, but the biggest impacts come from above. And so the best, you know, like agitating for governments to actually make change and move to renewables and things like that is the best thing uh, we can do. Not to take away from the smaller things. Uh, but, yeah. My yeah. compost is completely worthless in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> it can well, feel like that. It can feel like that. Self-righteous yeah. about it, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so now that we've talked about sustainability, so like, I, I mean, we games do play, I, I don't know, I, I do think that games are important and I think that games should be accessible to everybody. We, we've talked about this with other guests uh, before that like, um, things like game libraries uh, and, and, and reusing games is good um, because not everybody always uh, has either the time or the money <laughs> to, to have access to games. Um, but, I, I, you know, it, it's easy to get depressed by all this. <laughs> it's, it's really easy to get depressed by all these things. So what, and here's my segue, what are you enjoying right now uh, as far as uh, things in the world of games? Do you have time to play games at all or are you just play testing your own designs all the time yeah i mean one of the sad things about designing a lot is you just play new games less and you just have fun with games less which is kind of sad um <laughs> so yeah i play game new games much less than i did 10 years ago which is yeah. kind of depressing but um i still play as much as i can one game i'm really enjoying and kind of fits into this whole discussion is um voyages which is oh. a little um print and play roll and write mm -hmm. that postmark games has put out and um yeah I, they ran a kickstarter for it and it was like four british pounds and you just got a pdf that you printed out and yeah they're kind of trying to think about new ways of of distributing games and like obviously what's lower impact than a digital file um and so i've been playing quite a lot of i think it's a really great game um and it's a really cool roll and write that's got a little bit of meat on the bone for gamers, I think. Um, but the cool thing about it is that they keep releasing new maps and, yep. you know, they'll just send out a new PDF and it's like, oh, a new expansion. And, you know, you just print it out and, and play. And I just yep. think it's a really interesting um, approach that a publisher might be able to take. Um, I've been playing a few um, button shy games as well, and I really like that they are trying, like, what can we make with the absolute minimum number of components? Like, I find that such a cool kind of design challenge. Um, so yeah, there's some things I've been really enjoying lately that are just getting me thinking, oh yeah, there are different ways. Like not everything has to be a $200 massive box of plastic. Like there are other <laughs> ways games can exist um, that are equally as, you know, valid and fun and enjoyable, so. Which, uh, which button shy games have you been playing? Uh, uh, Sprawlopolis, okay, uh, is really cool, and Tussie Mussie, I like, 
Um, yeah, so I don't have that. They're the only two I ha- actually own because um, shipping's a bit of a killer out here. But, yeah, they're both just really great little games that do so much with 18 yeah. cards. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're, they're both great little games. I'm a huge bunch of fan. Um, and the other thing, going back to uh, Voyages, is I've seen several people, and in fact, myself, too, um, I, I just put it on my iPad, and I don't have to print off everything every time and, and just yeah. put it that way. And I'm not wasting any ink or paper. Uh, which, um, I don't know. I don't know if, if, you, if you've tried it, but, uh, you know, you just throw it in a, a drawing app, and then you can just draw on there, and then when you're done, erase it all. And uh, Yeah, and if you're playing all- remotely, if you, you could play over Zoom, and everyone's doing that. You know, yeah, because, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, is is that something that you're going to consider with, with Joy Games? Like, will any of them have that type of accessibility in them? Yeah. So, one of our launch games is uh, it's called Scribbly Gum, and it's about uh, uh, gum trees in Australia, and um, it's a roll and write basically, or a flip and write, and uh, it, we're going to release the. Um, the score pad for it as a PDF and we're going to have rules for like online play and we'll be releasing uh, extra content through PDF as well. Um, So, yeah, so that's something where we're kind of, and if that goes really well um, and people kind of really take that up, we might can, we're definitely considering for sure doing just PDF only stuff. Um, But we'll see how it's kind of taken up because that's a game we particularly are interested in seeing if, um, classroom play might be a thing we can um, encourage people to use it for because it's one of yeah. those roll and rights where you can play any number of people. Um, so if, if like, uh, a few schools get on board with it and um, a few teachers we know kind of give us really good feedback, then we might consider going down that that route a bit more. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good idea for, for students. I, I like that. It's cool. Um, so with your game design, um, how do you keep the, the ease of learning at the forefront? Like, like, are you designing games that are a little bit clunkier and then you, like, you just cut things away or are you just starting with something simple and you make sure it stays simple? Or how, how do you approach that um, easy to learn accessibility in, in your own uh, games? Yeah, it's a... It's a bit of a, it's sort of become a little bit second nature now. So like, okay. I think when I started out, I definitely um, had to streamline things and had to make really big calls about this whole part of the game I'm taking out because I wanted it to be simpler. But I think now I almost design from the start aware of like how many rules are too many rules, how many components are too many. So that's already kind of pretty clear in my head. So when I start designing, I'm usually already in that zone. Um, but I am always thinking about particularly the rules teach. So um, keeping it as short as possible, you know, three minutes kind of or so. Um, and also keeping everything very apparent to the players. So like you don't need to keep referencing the rule book. You don't need to have memorized what's in the deck. You don't need to, you know, all those things about just being able to visualize the play space. 
I think that really helps learning um, and playing that first game. So they're kind of some things I keep in mind. Um, But it's also just the style I like. Like it's just the style of game I enjoy playing the most. So you just kind of lean into it and you kind of, yeah, slowly improve at making games in that that way. Yeah. Do you do... uh... Like, like, do you go out and do escape rooms or before the pandemic? Did you do escape rooms? Because you designed for Cosmos uh, with, with yeah. um, the adventure games. Um, is that something that you enjoy or? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a huge amount of escape rooms, but I do really like them. Um, okay. And so, yeah, definitely the adventure games were sort of like um, wanting to, obviously inspired by Exit, their series, but also inspired by like... Uh, the biggest other inspiration was probably point and click adventure games, like PC adventure okay. games from the eighties and nineties. So, yep. um, but no, no, I really love escape rooms. Um, there's actually a really great um, escape room place right near where I live called Cipher Room that has like some of the just best escape rooms I've done. So yeah, really love, really love them. Um, but yeah, trying to get a little bit more, I guess, narrative and story into that experience was what we were sort of trying to go go for with adventure games yeah have you have you played any of those no oh, okay i don't play <laughs> games i just think about it <laughs> um, um so in another interview you said you played uh, dungeons and dragons as a kid um do you well first of all do you still play at all have you, have you played in recent years or so i should say i did pl- i did play dungeons and dragons but not very much at all <laughs> so like it was something I experienced. Actually, that I played more Marvel, the Marvel role-playing game, like the 90s. Oh, yeah. Like that was the role-playing game. Like I had at home and played more. Um, but no, role-playing is something that sort of slipped off like my I used to play video games heaps more and dabble in role-playing games, and both of those things just have kind of fallen by the wayside by kind of necessity in a way, like deciding to focus on uh, board games had its casualties, I'll say. So, yeah, that's kind of, there are two things I just do less of, which is a shame. Um, But I always think that for a lot of people, playing role-playing games when you're young is such a formative experience that the narrative aspects of that kind of stick with you yeah i definitely think that's why so many kind of more euro games at the moment are exploring narrative because everyone remembers how awesome that was and why can't that sort of narrative progression be part of a of a more kind of you know rules locked strategic game um yeah well yeah well so what would that what would that look like for you then um I mean, can, can that happen in a, outside of the adventure games? Can that happen in, in like, a family game? Well, yeah, it's a great question. Like, so with the adventure game series, when we submitted it to Cosmos, when we submitted, like, the system, it was much more gamery. Like, it had a few more rules. It had, like, you could win or lose. You know, it felt more like a co-op game. Um. And as we kind of refine the system with Cosmos, we just keep, we just kept taking out all that stuff. So it was essentially just the story, you know, <laughs> and you just play through it. And I was a little, like, as that was happening, I was kind of feeling like, oh, 
is this the right move? Because why not read a book? You know, like it has to feel like a game, you know, but I actually think it was exactly the right call because I actually think the opposite is worse. Like having a game get in the way of the narrative, I think is actually really distracting for players. And anyway, so I think where I've landed on this is it's actually incredibly hard to have both (laughs) because, (laughs) because, um, take role-playing games or choose your own adventure books. Like they're like very much down the narrative end where narrative is, is key and it's going to determine the design. And, and then you have strategy games, which are way down the other end where the rules are quite constrained and, and then, the more narrative you, you can definitely have a have a um have a mix of both. So I think one of the more successful ones would be like um Near and Far by um Red oh, Raven yeah. Games. Like that's pretty cool hybrid, I guess. But yeah, I think it's very hard to go too far either way before one of the two elements just feels tacked on. Um and getting in the way of what you really want to do. So it's a really hard problem. Um but I really love that so many people are exploring it right now. And who knows, maybe maybe there is a sweet spot that we haven't found yet. Um, but it is it is tough. It's a tough question. Huh. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, you, you just made me think of something when, when you were saying that. You, you said that you don't want it uh, to get in the way of the game. Uh, and that, like... Everybody approaches the table for a different reason, usually. <laughs> like, it might be because, oh, I, I know somebody here and they asked me to play the game. Somebody might want to win. Uh, somebody might just want to spend time with the people at the table. So that, that, that's an interesting uh, idea that um, narrative can get in the way of, of a, a strategy game. Uh, but it also has to do a lot with, like, uh, I mean, there's just so many things with expectations related to games. And I think that's what it makes me think of, is that I think it's important to talk about what you want when you when you sit down at the table, and sometimes people don't do that. Um, so you make use of both uh, engine building and spatial orientation in your game. In fact, you're pretty much known for the spatial orientation thing <laughs> a lot of times. Um, how would you explain one of those concepts to someone who is just learning for the first time? And you, I mean, you just said you, you like your games to be uh, able to be taught in like three minutes. So how would you uh, explain engine building or, or spatial orientation or both, depending on how you want to approach that question? Um, well, I guess the spatial like games with um, tile laying and kind of um, spatial orientation in them, I think are really easy because I think the way the hook for people is a puzzle. You know, people, everyone knows a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And most people know Tetris. <laughs> so if it's a polyomino tile laying game like Baron Park, quite quickly people just instantly kind of say, oh, I'm, it's like a puzzle with Tetris pieces. Um, yeah. And even though like some of those, uh, like if we weren't all familiar with Tetris, I think some of those like tile interrelations are reasonably kind of, you know, thinky, but I think you get a massive shortcut with people because most people are kind of aware of those shapes already. 
that and how they might fit together. So I definitely think, yeah, a lot of tile laying games, people just instantly associate with puzzles, which is why they're accessible. Like Carcassonne, so many people, when they start playing, they think of, um, you know, I think subconsciously you think of playing with puzzles when you were a kid or playing with some of those um, tile pattern puzzles that you play, play with as a kid. And yeah. it just brings back that kind of feeling. So I think there's some, that's why I think it's a, quite an accessible genre. Engine building's a bit tougher because that's sort of more a strategy game concept. But I think with something like Gizmos, I think talking about it in terms of like special abilities or special powers and just saying, you know, as this game goes on, you start with very basic special with very basic powers, you know, you can yeah. draw a marble, you can take a marble, you know, that's it. Um, but as you go on in this game, you're building up your abilities. You're like leveling up your powers. That's probably how I would talk about engine building to someone who's very new to, to that sort of game. Um, and yeah, with Gizmos, we definitely tried to make the, the visual layout of the game really make you aware, okay, I've got these actions and they're getting better and better and better um when i lay down the columns of cards yeah um, so that's probably yeah that's probably how i'd approach engine building i like to say you got your worker and they go get wheat but you got to move the wheat over there so you got to go get wood and then you use that wood to make a cart but then you got to go get a horse <laughs> <laughs> Then, okay. Any real world metaphor we can we can grab onto is useful. Yeah, <laughs> I try to make it as complicated as possible. Yeah, that's not complicated. A special power sounded uh, great. <laughs> um, oh, I'm, I'm, before I ask my next question, because uh, you, you might have been confused why, why my next question is here, but um, my boys, uh, I, I have two boys, almost fourteen, almost ten, but. Um, they uh, they're both big fans of your work, and they told me to tell you thank you very much for your games. So um, they they like them a lot. Um, in fact, my my younger my younger son was very very impressed. I think he is more impressed with, with the fact that I was talking with you than any other guests so far. So uh, oh, <laughs> he was. Cool. So, um, but this comes from him. Uh, if you were an evil fantasy villain baking a gingerbread house, what candies would you cover the house in? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, a that, that is a bit of a morbid headspace to get into. Uh, you know, if I were to eat children, how would I lure them in? Um, this comes from, from a nine-year-old, right? So <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love it. Um, I would say... My my favorite. I'm not a huge sweet tooth, but these are the sweet. These are my sweet things that I really love: caramel popcorn. Love that. Okay. Uh, Reese's pieces. Oh, okay. And like white chocolate. So not like most people like dark chocolate. Yeah, I really like white chocolate. So if they would fit, if they would stick to the house. That would be that. That would be what I would go with. That that's I would not have expected that. So, do you have <laughs> a uh, at, at Christmas there? Do, do do people make white chocolate covered pretzels um, in Australia? 
Not really. I have had I've had them, but I definitely wouldn't say they're common at all. We're not okay. really big with pretzels here, but um, uh, the, 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 yeah, yeah, they don't do that here either. I don't know if it's true. It sounds delicious. It sounds delicious. I would have them. Oh, okay. No, it, it, what? I'll make you some. I have to. Uh, we, we, I'll finally look forward to the holidays. Okay. I mean, we have that, and then um, since you like Reese's, do you, have you ever heard of a Buckeye? Do you know what a Buckeye is? No. What's up? So a buckeye is a mound. Uh, imagine taking like two pounds of butter and like a giant jar of peanut butter and then a bunch of chocolate and dumping them all, you know, melting them uh, so that the peanut butter and the butter and some brown sugar too, because you need to completely rot your teeth out. Teeth out. And um, so you do that and then you cover it with the chocolate. And so it makes a buckeye, which is a, a state fruit state tree of ohio yeah it's an inedible nut but how big is this so all of that gets cooked down to something like that little tiny balls yeah yeah. all right 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 right. okay those and you come over come over uh, around thanksgiving aunt sherry my aunt sherry makes yeah (laughs) yeah basically peanut butter butter and brown sugar go in the middle all melted together, and then you cover you cover it with chocolate. And, that and the way amazing. it is, it is amazing. Yeah, and it's called a buckeye because the buckeye nut on the tree is like a dark brown, blackish color circle nut, and then it's got a little white, a little lighter brown. So that's the chocolate wrapped in the peanut butter. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I like the sound of it. Well, if if you ever make it over to the states, we will. Uh, yeah, my aunt Sherry. We'll make sure you do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we don't have a, a whole lot of other questions, but uh, anything else you want to say about Joey Games and what's coming up with that and uh, what, what you would want to tell people what you're excited about with Joey Games? How I'm going to get Joey Games in my house. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so um, we just sort of launched our company publicly a few weeks ago. So if you go to joeygames.com.au, uh, you can read all about us. And you can see the three games we're going to launch with. There's some kind of sneak peek info there. And uh, basically, we're getting pretty close to crowdfunding. So we, we're going to crowdfund our first three games because we want to launch with like a, a line to kind of establish who we are. So that'll be happening quite soon. Um, so you can kind of sign up for updates on our website. And then they'll hopefully be out uh, late in the year or early next year. And um, yeah, and then you'll be able to buy them. Uh, so we're still looking. We're going to kind of focus on Australia at first for distribution and availability, but they'll definitely you'll definitely be able to get them in other places too. But um, keep an eye on our website for more uh, kind of details. And, yeah, I'm just excited uh, to put some games out into the world that Meredith and I kind of oversaw from the beginning to the end because it's been so long since I've had that experience. Um you know, I've, I have great relationships with all the publishers I work with, but often ideas shift so much based on, you know, the publisher's tastes and style and needs. And, um, yeah, it'd just be nice to put something out that's, like, very much our vision all the way through. So, yeah, so joeygames.com.au is the best place to kind of find out about that. Um, and if you have any questions or you want to chat, please just get in touch with us. Are you are you launching through the normal crowdfunding 
site. The North, <laughs> the Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, at this stage, at this stage, we are Kickstarter um, is is the option we're going to use. Yeah, so we'll be. Um, you'll you'll hear about us if you follow Kickstarter at all. You'll hear about us through the usual channels. I would hope. So it's sticky sticky gum. So scribbly gum is the is the first game, and that's um, a roll and write about uh, scribbly gum trees. Then we have Busy Beaks, which is a card game about Australian birds, um, which has amazing artwork uh, by Sarah Allen, who's an Australian artist. And then the third game is called Pass the Party Food. And speaking of Buckeyes, uh, Pass the Party Food is like all about our some of our national. Uh, you know, junk food. So party food that um, is kind of synonymous with growing up in Australia. Uh, we decided to make a little co-op game for kids about sharing uh, sharing Australian party food. So Vegemite. There's no Vegemite in the game. Vegemite is, <laughs> is, is the opposite of sweet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so what would be an example of a... Uh an Australian treat that we might not have heard of. So. Um, have you guys heard of, do you guys have fairy bread? I've heard of fairy bread, but I, I don't so, remember. I don't recall. So this is, this is, this is a fairy bread recipe. Get a piece of white bread, okay. spread margarine or butter on it, and then absolutely cover it in hundreds and thousands which are kind of like sprinkles. Okay. And then you cut it, then you cut it into diagonal quarters or into diagonal halves. That is fairy bread. Basically butter and sugar on bread. So <laughs> it's look, it is not as uh, complex as the buckeye, but um, oh the buckeyes it, only get rolled out for holidays. <laughs> That's you know it's attractive. It looks good. Um, so that's one. Uh, another one is pikelets, uh, which are like tiny pancakes this big with just cream and jam on them. That uh, sounds great. So they're pretty tasty. And 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 lamingtons. So lamingtons is kind of like our national cake, maybe. Oh, no, that's probably pavlova. But a lamington is like a spongy cake dipped in chocolate covered in coconut then you get two of those and you put like jam and cream in the middle that's hey, a that, yeah well, that sounds good yeah <laughs> and these are all in the game right they're all in the game cool cool the entirety of my knowledge of australia is from my deep love of paul hogan uh, who uh i used to watch that those those i actually saw the third one um, made I, yeah. Well, you the first, Nobody, <laughs> the third one. I I have forgotten yeah. there was the third one. Was that yeah. Crocodile Dundee in LA or something? Yeah, well, he's got a son in the third one. Uh, the second one, he, the first one, he goes back and forth. He he comes yep. in, and then the second one, they kidnap his wife. Um, yep. Well, she was kidnapped from the first one too, and then the third one's with the son. So, and then more recently, there's a public broadcasting show about a about the moon, and she travels the world with some kids. And my kids, it's my son's favorite show, and they go to Australia. It's one of his favorite episodes. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so that's why. 
they, they bring up that you bet you might and um yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and that's about all i got about that that knives yeah big knives yeah um it's one of those weird things where like crocodile dundee and the crocodile hunter and stuff a lot of that stuff was bigger in america than here so uh, i couldn't imagine yeah 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 so um like paul hogan was very famous here but um as a comedian and stuff but some of that stuff is almost bigger overseas than here so it's this weird thing of like your you know some of the pop culture australian stuff that's out there we're not actually that into so it's kind of odd um outback steakhouse is another one that's really weird like completely an american restaurant with it's stuff so in it that we would never have ever in an Australian restaurant. The guys um, who made it have never been to Australia. Is that right? That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. They so when you go, yeah. when you go to Outback, there is Outback Steakhouses here. Like they came over back over oh. here, and when we go there, it is such a trippy experience because it's like this isn't like Australia at all. Yet <laughs> you know. It, kind of is being told that this is what Australia is. I mean, obviously we eat steak, but that's about it. And Bloomin' so, Onions. Is that in the game? The Bloomin' Onions? Bloomin' Onions are not in the game. And that is the most American thing I can think of. Just cutting <laughs> up an onion, deep frying it. We would never do that here. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, this has been a delight. Uh, anything else about any of your games or any games that are coming out or anything else? I, I don't want to cut you off. I I, uh, I do that sometimes because I'm bad at social interaction. But um, just eat a blue and you'll feel better. Eat a blue and then you'll feel worse. <laughs> yeah. If we um, fair for a blue onion and then a buckeye. Oh, <laughs> Bring it on. What a meal. <laughs> um. I guess I would just say, what have I got coming out? So Museum Suspects is the next game of mine that's coming out. I think it's out in Europe already. And it's like a little deduction game uh, I made with Blue Orange. So if you like um, if you like really accessible deduction mystery kind of style games, uh, maybe check out that. that. That was a really fun one to do. Um, and also recently... Uh, Explorers is out through Ravensburger. So if you like uh, flip and write exploration games with heaps of replayability, um, that's a cool one to check out as well. Is that based off the movie from the 80s? No, but I love that movie. It's a great movie. It's well, what I, it's made of. <laughs> I will say I love the first two thirds of that movie. And then the last third of that movie is so weird. That well, the, the, the space cat, <laughs> that's all so, I remember. <laughs> so strange. Awesome. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate it. Uh, and My pleasure. Yeah, it, again, if you ever get over here, we'll, we'll, we'll get you some Buckeyes. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You've just been listening to Board Again Games Season 4, Episode 4, as we talked with game designer and publisher Phil Walker Harding about what he values in game design, his own company, and some of his upcoming releases. Thanks for listening as we continue to explore the world of tabletop gaming. Happy gaming. We'll catch you later.